welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. I hope you are staying safe and healthy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome. (laughs) I would appreciate if you gave feedback on this episode or the podcast itself by leaving a rating or comment on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to follow me on IG at It's Mike Joseph. And guess what? We now have a monthly newsletter. You can sign up at tinyurl.com slash detoxpod. So my guest on this show is Ricardo Shazar. He came to my attention via an article in a Billboard magazine listing 40 LGBTQ power players in music. What drew me was the fact that Shazar, who tends to go by his last name professionally, works primarily within the confines of reggae music, a genre that has not always been kind to queer people. By existing openly in the highly visible space of public relations, he is a pioneer and a disruptor. Our chat covers the Billboard accolades and what it means to be a queer Jamaican working in reggae music, but Shazar also talks about his relationship with the higher power, the cultural pressures placed on him as a young person, and why sometimes stubbornness, righteous stubbornness, is the path to figuring out the real you. I will say there is some glitchy audio during this conversation, and I apologize for that. We're not perfect. Uh, this is a podcast with a shoestring budget. We are recording over Zoom in my apartment because of social distancing. Uh, but I felt like there was sufficient magic in this particular conversation to forgive any imperfections in the audio. We're listening for the content, not for the sound quality. So, folks, I present you with Shazar. My name is Ricardo Wayne Shazar. I'm an entertainment publicist. I am from Jamaica, I live in New York. I'm a very introverted person, despite popular belief. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still figuring out who I am. I'm, you know, I'm a work in progress. I love that. When did you move to the U.S.? I immigrated here in 2012. Okay. So you were an adult at that point. Okay. Yeah. And was it for, to do publicity or... No, I just migrated here. Family moved to the U.S. and I was, we moved to Florida. I hated Florida. I lived there for like six months. Like I moved in October of 2012. Then by February of 2013, I was out of Florida. What didn't Uh, you like about Florida? The weather and the people. It was, to me, it wasn't that much of a change because there's a lot of Caribbean nationals that live in Florida at the same time. Yeah. And the weather, the weather reminded me of home. So it was like, okay, it's like I'm in a, different version of Jamaica, per se. So I was like, you know, this is really not a change. I had a friend that I went to college with back in Jamaica that lived in upstate New York, Rochester. And I was like, you know what? Can I come up there? And he's like, sure, why not? And I packed my things dead middle of winter and just ran, ran into all that snow. Disney did not make fun seem, snow seem that fun, by the way. It's <laughs> totally the opposite. You cannot just run out there and play and make snow angels. So. No, that does not, particularly in New York, that, that don't happen. <laughs> so I had, I had to learn that the hard way, so yeah. Was there any, like, snow aside, any, like, culture shock moving to the Northeast from, you know, from Jamaica? There wasn't really, because I've been coming to the States for you know, a couple of years before. So I was kind of used to, you know, living in those really rural parts of America. Like I've lived in Pen- deep in Pennsylvania, Hellertown. I lived in um, Galloway, New Jersey for internships and stuff like that. So I, I became accustomed to that kind of lifestyle somewhat. Okay. So as a publicist, do, do you work specifically with music or do you do things outside of uh, musicians? I do stuff from time to time outside of the regular uh, musicians, but my, I think I would say my core focus over the years has been just with musicians and artists. And how did that, how did you come into that? How did that 
was that like a lifelong passion of yours or? It wasn't because when I left high school, I did not know what I want to do with myself. But my mom was like, you're going to college just for the first semester. I will pay and you got to figure the way the rest of the way out. So I started studying hospitality. Okay. I guess it's, I guess it's just a natural thing to do living in Jamaica because tourism is like a big thing. I started doing hospitality entertainment. When I came to the U.S. on an internship, when I when I, I was here, one of my friends, she got signed by a entertainer back home. You probably heard of him, Vibes Cartel. Mm-hmm. So she got, you know, she got recruited by him. By the time I could get back, she confided in me about an alleged assault that happened. And from there, I just like, no, you got to get out of this musical camp. Like, it's not worth it. So I got thrown into the position where I had to help her figure herself out. And then from there, I just started helping her with her public speaking, writing press releases, statements, setting up interviews. And that's that's how it really started. And did that come natural to you or? or? It did. I didn't realize that I really had that, that knack for dealing with media, so per se. With, especially, I had no formal training in that year whatsoever. But I guess it was kind of there looking back because I used to love to watch. I love the news. I love politics. I love all that stuff. I love listening to the radio. So it's like, you know what? I was slowly just absorbing everything throughout my childhood. And then that was the perfect moment for me to just use everything I've seen and learned back. And that's how it happened. And you you enjoy it, I assume. You have your own PR company, so. Yeah, I enjoy it. It, it, It's been a rocky road, but every day I get up, that's the first thing I think about. It's like, okay, what's happening who released the latest song, who else can I collab with, stuff like that. So okay, it's, it's become a part of who I am. And is your fo- music-wise, is your focus mainly on reggae or? Yes, but no. Reggae, because that's, that's where I got my start. It's the music that runs through my core. But I do have interest in other genres, but it's hard to break into mainstream American music. So... I'm still working on that aspect of things. Hopefully with all this noise I'm making, somebody will see me and be like, you know what? Come work for this label or come work for, you know, and just get my foot out there. Right on. And you are making a lot of noise. I found out about you through Billboard magazine. They did their power list. And there was a a section called the uh, pride list, which highlighted 40, 40 people in the music industry who identify as LGBTQ. And mm-hmm. you were on that list and we connected through there. And what's the reaction been like since that article went up? Like I've gotten a lot of support. Like people was like, you know, congrats. It's like, you know, it's been something that gets people just saying that it's just about time because I've been putting in the work. And surprisingly, I really haven't got, I haven't directly received any backlash from it because it was like, okay, we knew that he was, but. I've been able to maneuver myself through the industry where I don't really attract a lot of backlash. Okay. Like I've, like I've earned my respect. Right. You know, with my peers. So it's, it's, it's been good. People have been really receptive towards it. So I'm glad for that. Good. I mean, obviously there's, you know, you're sort of a pioneer because you don't see a lot of queer people in uh, reggae at all. And, you know, as, as a West Indian, you know, my impression of West Indians in general, and it doesn't matter where they're from, is that there's still a lot to learn, you know, a lot to learn in regards to bisexuality and homosexuality. So, you know, 
hey, I think, you know, and people use the word brave all the time, but I think in your case specifically, just kind of knowing what I know, I think it's it's a brave decision to sort of be your whole self in a genre of music that isn't necessarily receptive to, well, you know. And, you know, even that point you just for be my whole self, I don't think to this day I've been my whole self in my career or in what I do because I still have to limit how much I put out their perspective of people trying to still become tolerable of, you know, who I am in the same breath. So, like, even throughout the years, even though people may, okay, no, yeah, he's queer, but I will, I still won't post certain stuff. You won't catch me post that video if I'm dating somebody who wants to keep, you know, you won't catch me doing a certain stuff because I got to maintain that kind of boundary where I don't want to force things in people's face. Right. So I got to slowly, you know, it's like slowly feeding them a little bit over time, over time with the hope that, you know, they would accept it. Yeah. I mean, the learning process is different. The acceptance process is different for some people than it is for other people. So what was it like growing up in Jamaica, just in general? I mean, you know, you've been in the States for a long period of time. So what, now that you have like different perspectives, what, what was, were the big different things about growing up in Jamaica? Growing up in Jamaica, I would say it's, it's totally different than growing up here in the States. The culture back home is very, very intense, even for, as a child growing up. Like from your kid, your the, the level of masculinity that you, you need to display or achieve is, is placed on you from the jump. Like growing up, from I was 10 years old, you were forced, you have a girlfriend. Like at 10 years old, you're active, you know, who your girlfriend is or are you sexually active. So like those are the sort of social pressures of displacing you from a kid with just being teased by your peers, getting into fights and, and just the struggle of finding, finding out who you are and at the same time trying to maintain that balance of trying to blend in with society. Right. So it was, it was, it was rocky. It was fun. It was challenging. It was rewarding because I learned a lot about myself. I learned how to navigate a system that was not necessarily conducive to who I am. Do, when did you learn that you were, I guess, different from, from other boys? I would probably say when I was probably around nine, 10 years old, I was, I was probably in fifth or sixth grade and something just didn't add up. Like at that point I did have a girlfriend. But I also had a crush. So it was like a situation where, you know, I, yeah, I have a girlfriend, it's cool and all, but there was always this masculine crush that I had on this other kid in, you know, in my class. And it was just there where me and me and him became friends. And even though nothing really, nothing happened between us, it was just there. And from that point, it was like, okay, there's something else in me that is, that is, yearning to come out or yearning to be explored and from that tender age is when i knew that i was different i wouldn't necessarily tend to play sports like i'm not a real sports fan so i will always not want to participate in sport activities or it would be that i would hang out with the girls too much stuff like that you know even to the even to the public you could just say okay something goes right he's going home with all the girls he's hanging out with the girls so it just it didn't fit in the grand scheme of what was supposed to be did, I mean, did your relatives or your other friends try to kind of discourage you or kind of, you know, I don't know how you try to like turn you in a different direction? Somewhat, not forcefully, but it would have been where there would be, you know, there would be slight jabs or, you know, your peers would tease you or your relatives would tease you. Like, you know, stop acting like a sissy. Like, 
why you believe in that? Are you a, you know, are you a fish? Are you a Batman? There's some little jabs they would put in there just to sink in that, okay, even if you are having that idea, please don't. You know what I mean? Like, man up. Right. So th- there were those jabs, but I wouldn't say there was any forceful move on part of, like, family or peers to so say, okay, are you gay? You got to change. There, there wasn't. So I'm trying to imagine, I mean, I'm not really trying to imagine because I went through the same thing, like what it's like to, to know that you have these feelings and not feel like you can, you know, be growing up and going through all the other stuff involved with being a teenager and growing up and knowing that you kind of have this, I guess, secret or thing about you that other people say is not, you know, is wrong or not normal or whatever, like the conflict with yourself, I guess. Yeah, so trying to be something that you're not, trying to figure out who you are is a definite struggle. Even growing up, I would say that you always had to put on this persona for the public. So even even at home, you couldn't be who you are. You know what I mean? Like you had to, because your mother is there, or whoever your parent is, they're there. You had to still maintain some sort of normalcy of what they would expect. Right. But when when your parents are not home, you're okay. It's like I figure you can let your hair down, kind of kind of scenario. Like, so it was it was interesting growing up trying to maintain that balance. I had the struggle to learn who I am, come to terms with what I am, and learn to love me for who I am, irrespective of you know what people may think or people may say. It was a struggle. It was hard. It was there have been you know there was nights when I was like, okay, like what the hell am I going to do? There, if if I should be honest. There were there were suicidal thoughts because that struggle of identifying and trying to fit in is a lot to deal right. with. So it it was burdensome, but in the same breath, it was something that I think I needed to experience or go through because it made me the person who I am today. Like it made me stronger, more resilient to whatever you know backlash that may come. So I'm not regretting what happened and or how it happened. I'm. I'm more appreciative of the struggles that I had to went through. So when, I mean, I would imagine you've enjoyed, you've been a music fan also since you were young. Definitely. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, and I get this question sometimes as a hip hop fan, how do you like justify like being a fan of a type of music that doesn't always recognize you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, you, you, you have to, you gotta love the art for what the art is. That's just it. Like I'll go to events. I'll still play the same songs that we listen to the lyrics is definitely advocating for my death, but I'm, I'm still in love with it. I love the fact that at the end of the day, that's someone expressing who they are, who they, you know, who they choose to be. I mean, I agree in that sense of what they're advocating, but I respect the arts. It's diverse. You know, right. just, as more, just as much as I would want to accept me for who I am, I gotta accept them for, the, for who they are too. Right. As a kid, did that trouble you at all? It didn't. I think it excited me more in the sense that knowing that, okay, I, what I am was a topic of conversation that drew a lot of people's interest. So knowing that, okay, it's almost in the sense that growing up, you're not supposed to smoke as a kid. 
You know what I mean? And it's just the knowing that, okay, if I do smoke, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat cool or, you know, I'm, just because I'm breaking the law is, is a thing to do. It was kind of that kind of interest or, you know, appreciation I got knowing that, okay, this music form is speaking out against me so much that, you know what, something must be, something must be worthwhile over here. Let me just enjoy it. Let me just, you just own it. Right. It, it was fun. So I guess when was the moment when you were like, all right, I'm like the decision to come out, like that's gotta be a difficult ass decision. Like this, you know, I, I look at people now and there are people I know who came out when they were like 13 or 14. I'm like, how did y'all do that? <laughs> you know? So it, it's, I, I, you know, what was your kind of coming out experience? I think that was it was a it was years of struggle trying to come out to be honest with you. Um I while I was while I was in high school, I started to explore more, try to seek out information more. So from then I started to I was still having girlfriends, still having sex with of course with girls, and it was a point where I'm like, okay, I am shifting away. And I remember once I went on this hike in church group trip. And in the midst of darkness, I had a conversation with a girl. And at that point, is like the conversation was so. I was trying to, I was trying to date her, by the way. But in the process of me trying to sweet talk her, it was more of like, you know what? Why waste the energy on something that long term is not you? In the in the heights of Blue Mountain, and I was like, you know, this is it. I'm done. And at that point, it was like, okay, just start owning more, start finding ways to more slowly demonstrate who you are and then from that point up until i would say i left high school went to college i came to terms with who i am i didn't publicly say who i am but through what i do how i conducted myself it was just an easy tell you know what i mean and then in 20 in 2014 i was at the height of my career in pr was working with a lot of entertainers back home they were like topping the charts and I was at that space where I was like, I think the time is now to stir the pot, challenge. You know what? Let's challenge the narrative that's out there. And at the end of the day, it was like, people know. Despite what I want to believe, people know. Right. There's rumors, people make an accusation. Why not just address address what is being said, you know, on your terms? And at that point, that's what I did. But I did it craftily. It wasn't like, I, and I, it, it was also in the sense that I didn't want to become a, a scandal. I didn't want it to be that, okay, you're here in the US and somebody catches you on a tape in a gay club or you see you kissing somebody and then, you know, somebody sees on Facebook or on Twitter and they right. tell you are a, the typical scandal per se. So I was like, you know, let me, let me get ahead of this before it gets, it gets me. And that's what, that's what led to my decision. I put my story out there, but in putting my story out there, I challenged one of Jamaica's most iconic reggae artists in the same breath because he had just gotten nominated for a Grammy Award. And I challenged him and I challenged the Grammys and said that the Grammy should have never considered him for his homophobic stance. And that's how I did it. I kind of played, I tried, I stirred the pot while telling my story. So I took the focus off being who I am and the focus on being okay, why should we really consider this artist for such a Grammy because he's homophobic? So I kind of, you know, I, I, that's how I kind of got my story out there and got my courage. So that's what I did. It was, it was a PR. 
Well, you work in PR, so it makes sense. Um, and you know, you you gave your truth for you know for good reasons, you right. know, for a cause. How did that? What was the reaction from that? Oh my God, the backlash was swift. This it was swift. It was merciless. It was brutal. It was chaotic. Like when right now, I looking back is like wow. I don't know how I survived that. Like the death threats, the harassment, the bullying that ensued on Twitter, on Facebook, it was beyond. I was like, wow. And was that was, from was that from other artists or other people in the industry or just random people? It was everybody in general, from artists to producers to other practitioners to media personnel. It was everybody. It was wow. the whole. It was the whole Jamaica, the whole community, just dragging me for Phil, because it wasn't. It wasn't just bad that I was who I am. It was. The, it was the fact that I was calling out one of the most loved artists in the same breath. Right. So it's like, like how dare you? You know what I mean? Kind of scenario. Which it was. It it was. It, it was. It was. It was a moment which I looking back, I I was like, wow, it needed to be done, and I don't regret it. Information is power. And if you control information, you can, you have power. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let people have this over me. So I'm taking it back. Once I took that back, it was like, okay, what's, what, what else can you do? How else can you hold me back? So I don't regret doing it, to be honest, to be honest with you. Good. It, it's really interesting to me. And I, I don't think I learned this until, you know, a couple of years ago. When you are like people are always looking for something to say about for something to say about you that they can use against you at some point. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have anything like that, it just makes you a much freer, you know, freer person. Right. I was discouraged from doing what I was going to do. Like all my friends that I worked with in media was like, don't do it. Like it's career suicide. And I'm like, so what? Okay, I take a hit for two or three years. I will be remembered for doing what I did, and like you can't erase my work. Right, like, it's 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 still out there. Like you can't take away what I've already done. So might as well just get it out of the way now and prepare. You know, prepare for the future, the long haul of things. And that's why I don't. I, I just I know I just went went the tide and just did what I had to do. Did you have a backup plan in case things got really bad? I had no backup plan, <laughs> none, none whatsoever. Before I, before I went out with the story, I had like four clients and I literally told all of them, like I had a meal with everyone and every, every single, like I walked away from every single client. They're all like, yo bro, we, no, we love you down, we support you, but we, we won't be able to work with you if you go public. So I'm like, fine, but there was no backup plan, really. There was none whatsoever, I'm like, you know what? It may be the end of my career. So be it. Wow. So be it. That takes a lot of balls. Yeah, a leap of faith. I I do it all the time. It paid off. (laughs) Did it really? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, people, you know, people know who you are. You're still here. I mean, that was 2014. So six years later. Yeah, it really did. In a sense. Yeah. But I don't regret it. I would I would do it again, which I did with this billboard thing was like reliving that whole moment again. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, once a story dies down, okay, it's in the in the back, but then 
with the whole billboard thing, I had to prepare myself mentally for, okay, you're putting yourself back out there on a larger scale for scrutiny. Like it, people just ignored it, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, it is what it is. <laughs> it's not going to go I, away. If that look, the industry looks up the billboard for, you know, validation. So when billboard did that for me, they gave me so much power in the industry to say, okay, you can't risk this kid or you can't, you can't really go against this kid because this kid is, is making ways. He's, you know, he's credible. He is, you know, he's standing up. He's being a hero for so, so many out there. Like he is who he is and you have to just respect him whether or not you please. You know what I mean? So it was just, you know what? We're not even going to trouble this kid. It's not worth the fight. Do you think that times have changed between 2014 and 2020? It has definitely changed because I would say in 2014, after that interview, it would have been, I was blackballed technically. Okay. Like, nobody would feature, feature press release or anything like that. So I was like cut off. Now it's where people are like, they're more accepting. They're like, okay, we don't care anymore. Like, he has a story. Let's just run it. So more and more being included to somewhat in the conversations now we're in, in the same space. So I think there's definitely been a change, especially in terms of the music. Like the, the music is less, less homophobic in terms of the lyrics and stuff like that. So times have definitely changed. You know, part of me feels like as people get older, as artists get older and people travel the world and kind of see different kinds of, of ways that people live. They get out of that like young mindset, which, you know, results in, you know, a, a, a music that's a little bit not as, and you know what I'm saying? There was a, a period of time where there was a whole movement of boycotting artists who were spreading a lot of homophobic lyrics from the Caribbean. Mm. So they had a lot of like, there was a whole movement against them. So th- these artists were feeling the financial fallout from their music and what they were, you know, they were professing. And that too kind of helped because it it, it, it it shook them. At the end of the day, for artists, they want to, for them, it's their livelihood. And they're not getting booked for shows and they're getting canceled. And no, they're not able to leave the, the Jamaica and get the validation that they want. They had to make changes. So like, Right now, you find that there's way, way less more. Like, there's been probably, I would say, at least a 90% reduction in homophobic lyrics. Wow. Which is, that happened in the last five years or so, which is amazing. You know what I mean? So it's, and then it, I would say also that they have, become, I won't say they've become tolerable, but they've just decided not to acknowledge certain things anymore. Like, why fight against, you know, why, why make them a topic of conversation when in the long run it's only going to hurt me? So no, let's just ignore it. So that is, it's more where they're at now with where they, with where they are. And I think there are things and times have changed where people are more, this whole term of being metrosexual or <laughs> like people, people, people have, I would say the influence of BET, MTV, all those kind of, you know, have made, made it ways and its impact has definitely, definitely can be seen on the Caribbean and, or in the Western part of the world. Right. People are more, you know, people are more open. You know, one thing that's really been interesting to me about, you know, speaking to the metrosexual thing, 
is how a lot of West Indian men are very like fashion conscious and, you know, pride themselves on looking, you know, on looking sharp and looking pretty. And even some of like, you know, some of the fashions, you know, you see definitely influence, you know, uh, from. It it really, it really has. Because I remember, I can remember when having two ears pierced back home was considered to be homosexual. Mm-hmm. I, can remember, I can remember when it, if you had your nose pierced, it was considered to be a homosexual act. I can remember when you, when people, when if guys wore tight pants, it was considered homosexual. I, I can remember all those stuff like it was yesterday and now it's cool, it's trendy. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's been a, a, a system where I guess the taboos about certain expressions or sexual practices have just, eradicated and it's like oh my god where did when did this happen like it's only five years ago i i couldn't do this in certain settings and like now it's trendy yeah that's true that's definitely true how often do you go back home these days i went back in march or back in this march uh, i'm not a fan of going back home to be honest with you <laughs> i and it's not that i have anything against the country or the people it's just that I grew up there. I, most of my life, I lived there. I've partied there. I've done everything there. So it's like, why go back? Like, I'm, you're going back to what? To relive the same thing you've already lived before. So for, for me now, my focus is more exploring other parts of the world. And living here in New York, it's like I'm still somewhat in Jamaica because there's always a Caribbean party that's going on every other weekend somewhere. Oh, yeah. Or you're going to store or you go somewhere, you, you hear the music driving down the streets. So it's like, technically, I'm still home, but I'm not home. Right. So that's one of the reasons why I'm not really caught up in this desire to, okay, go back home. How have your your elders reacted to all of this? <laughs> like your mom, or, you know. So... How do I phrase this the right way? <laughs> I grew up. I, I grew up in a very Christian household. When I mean very Christian household, I used to get my ass whooped to go to church. I used to get my ass whooped in church for sleeping. Oh wow! Yep. Yeah. Like it was that bad. I grew up in a family where, in every single generation, probably for the last three or four, probably even five, there's been a pastor. Like my family's like back home in the New Testament Church of God realm, my family's well known because like my grand uncle was a well known pastor throughout the island. Like he's one of the you know, one of the, those pioneers. And when it came to me, when it came to who I am, my family literally just there was just a wall built up. There's just it was just like, okay, don't even like it was just I would technically say I'm the outcast of the family, which I don't mind. Because I love a challenge. <laughs> I really do love a challenge. I like to be the odd one out. And so my family's really been, I would say, shut off. If there was a period in time where after my when I when I decided to come out publicly, I told nobody in my family. Okay. So everybody woke up everybody woke up to the news either through Facebook or reading in the newspaper about me and who I am. Even my mom. Okay. I, after it came out, I didn't even, I did not accept calls. I, I literally isolated myself because I didn't want, they said I didn't want to, I didn't know if they were providing support or criticism. I just didn't, I didn't want to be bothered with any sort of energy that was coming my way. So my family's really been, 
on the back burner, back burner in terms of that part of my life. I've never really had a conversation with anyone in my family about it. Even to this day, I don't care. There's no hate. There's always love. Kind of that's how I approach it. And even last week, my mom called me, and she was like, "Like me and my mom, we've really had a very, I'll say, troublesome relationship. I'm an only child, so I think growing up, I was overly loved. So mm. now I run away. I run away from her. <laughs> but it's this in the breath that where every single conversation is always be." okay, you know, you need to give your life back to the Lord. Like, I'm worried about your soul. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not about to do it. I'm really not about to do this. And because of that, I I isolate myself all the time. And even with the Billboard article, I guess you probably read it too. And why would you do that? Like, why would you put yourself out there? Like, see, I'm worried about your soul. I'm like, oh my God, mom. Like, let that may be it. It's, it's, it's public knowledge. Like, so why wouldn't I do a billboard interview like this? It's like, you're putting yourself more out there and you're sick. I'm like, mom, I could get up tomorrow and walk out to the car and somebody hit me. I could get in the car to drive somewhere and get in an accident. My safety is always a risk out here in this world. So irrespective of what I do or choose not to do, it will always be of concern. And I'm like, I'm like, you're worried about this billboard interview, but worry about what this interview could do for me in the sense that you, most people seek out a billboard feature a billboard article a lot of people in this world seek out something like that and to have them feature me is something that i i, I could not say no to no matter i would be dumb to say no to something like that yes it may have backlash in a certain part of the world or in a certain part of a certain community but looking at who i am and where i want to go and given given what billboards stand for and the weight that they carry it was a no-brainer you know what i mean and She's not to me from that point. She's just worried about my soul and my salvation. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the question that I was going to ask. Like, is she concerned about your safety? Is she concerned about your soul? Is she concerned about both? Both. I think they're intertwined because I think at this day, growing up in a Christian home, safety and soul is just the same thing. Because at the end of the day, so in their mind, if you're not at, at, at a spiritual point where you're in tone with the beliefs of what they think God wants, your safety is always at risk. And even I always, I've always said this to even like my family or my, my mom was like, I am closer to God, not going to church or being who I am. Opposed to when I was growing up, going to church every Sunday, trying to be a Christian. Right. Right. And most of the time they, they shake it off and like, no, that don't make no sense. But it, it really do like, the conversations I have with myself or with who I'm trying to be or with, you know, trying to be spiritual is way more intense. Like I would lay at home and I would just have a conversation and I say, you know, Lord, thank you for everything you've done. Like it would be simple ways you find that you express yourself, that you're being very spiritual, being more, you know, connected with, with who you think God is or what you think God is. And at the end of the day, the Bible is there for everybody to interpret at their own will. You know what I mean? You you will read it. You will really get your own your own interpretation. And then who are you to judge? The same Bible said, leave all judging unto him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, let me live my life the way I think it's best. And let me find my spiritual connection through the ways I think I need to, that I get the best result. And leave all judging unto God. That's just always how I've seen it. 
mind you, in the same breath, I guess because of the way I was growing up, you will not find me probably go to a gay church. Why not? Which is kind just, of, would you go to a not gay church? I would, because I, I don't, for some reason, I think that is kind of hypocritical or kind of weird to say, but it's like, I believe in personal connection and spirituality. And I don't think that at times certain things need to be celebrated in certain space or be done in, in a certain way. I don't think there should be a, a, a need to segregate, okay, a straight church from a gay church. To me, I think that that's just dishonest in its own, you know, own sense. I think people should be able to be who they are in whatever space and still be able to connect with their God. So if, that's why I would probably not even go to, if, I would rather not go to a straight church than not go to a gay church. You know what right. I mean? Like, I just rather, just let me go to a church. Let me go to a space where I can, express my appreciation and love for and just be you know and get the message i don't know it's about the message you know i mean about that connection and how you interpret it into your life and how you make yourself a better person right but yeah yeah yeah. i think you know in an ideal world there would just be church right there wouldn't be a straight church or a gay church right right. Um, but i do think that a lot of queer people would feel uncomfortable in a regular church because they would feel that you know, there are people there that are judging them or, you know, they might not feel welcome or they might have had bad experiences in the church previously. Then then call out that church, that system that exists. I don't think you should run away from it to create something else. You know what I mean? If you feel that you're in that church and the pastor is preaching about you or condemning who you are, have that conversation with that pastor afterwards. Like, you know, I'm here to connect with God and get the message and you're on the pulpit, you know, degrading me or, you know, bashing me, which is not, which is, is counterintuitive. Like God is the God of love. We preach about love. I'm not saying to accept me, but help me connect with him to understand who I am and understand what his will is. It's not for you to, to preach to me what you think God will is or what God wants. is to help me foster a relationship with him. So that's why I say, no, I'd rather you have those conversations with wherever space you're opposed to going somewhere else and creating a, another environment. Right. So going back to at the beginning, when we started talking, you said uh, one of the things that you called yourself was a work in progress. What does that mean to you specifically, to Ricardo? What does that, what does that mean? Every day, every month, every year, I find out more about myself. Even this past weekend, I was up in Lake Ontario with my friends. My friend was like, Ricardo, I, we've been friends for like six years and I don't know anything about you. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like, we've had good moments, like very intimate moments where I confessed, I've shared. But you get, you've only shared a little bit enough huh. to get you through the conversation. And that I say that to say that I don't know who I am. I'm figuring it out every day. And today I may try to do something and it may not work. Tomorrow I might try and it might work. In the whole sense of thing, there's this song that I used to hear when I was growing up. I may not be who I am right now, but I'm trying to find my way somehow. I may not be who you want me to be, but my God is still working on me. And I think every day we learn more about ourselves every day we try to improve on who we are and just as how last year 
I'd have probably been still closeted about speaking about my sexuality publicly. Look at this year. I'm more open to speaking about it. You know what I mean? Like it's a work in progress. Every day you develop strength and the courage to address stuff in your life or address stuff publicly that you probably wouldn't do the day before or the year before. And that's why I say most of the time I'm afraid to do interviews because it's always like, okay, do I have the courage to take this on? Do I have the courage to speak about this? Do I really want to talk about that? But take it one step at a time. Like everything is done according to your own pace, your own pace, your own strength. And don't look at yourself as complete because life in itself is, it goes, it's continuous. And just as how the plants grow from a seed to a tree, so so do you too. So just, I always tell you, have patience with yourself, but in the same breath, ch- challenge yourself. You know what I mean? Set goals. I always set high expectations for myself. I may not reach there, but just the, just the pain and the struggle to know that I tried was self-rewarding for me. That's why I like to challenge authority. Like I love to stir the pot because I like it when people challenge themselves. I like to see people question things, you know, reason stuff out. And I like that for myself too. Guess that's why I like the news. So there's always a conversation or a discussion about some topic, which is right. engaging, you know, it's rewarding. Yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm curious where that comes from because you know, it's a lot of people, and I, you know, I can speak to my own experience too for a long time, are just so afraid to you know, sort of bump against whatever the status quo is or, you know, free themselves or be themselves or whatever it is, like, or to challenge, just to challenge what the the norm is. Like, was there like a thing in your life that happened or something where you were like, forget this, I'm just going to, I'm going to push against what this structure says I should be? Or I think I was just born that way. as to question or challenge authority. Like if probably you ask my mom, she would say, listen, from you as a kid, he would just not, you couldn't tell me, oh, Ricardo, go do that. Ricky, do that. No, why? And that's all I want is just to hear somebody else rationale behind, you know, their ideas or their thoughts. And it's just something that's always been in me to this day. I think that's what truly defines who I am or still allow me to define who I am is that I question everything. And I think that's how people should live their life. Like, you shouldn't just say, okay, yeah, the sky's blue. Why is the sky blue? Why could it be pink? Why could it be red? What constitutes it being blue? Like, ask questions. You know, always seek out more information because at the end of the day, it makes you a better person. You know, it makes you stronger in whatever you do. So I'm not, that's how I've always been from a child growing up. It's always, and it's always gotten me into trouble. So <laughs> I'm very bad, what some might say. <laughs> now that you're... You're in, you're in New York and you're settled in New York. How did you go about like finding, did you know you, I'm sure you knew a fair amount of people when you got here. It's just like, how do you find your people? How do you find your tribe? I am still finding my tribe because when, with that mindset of questioning things, I tend not to keep tribes because I'm always seeking out knowledge. And if I'm hanging with this particular tribe and it's fun and I get to know them and then we've plateaued to this point where they've become predictable or it's none, there's no growth or development, I move on. 
I move on. So moving to New York, it's it, it it wasn't hard or it wasn't it wasn't hard. It was easy. It was easy to find people that I identified, people that I already knew, learn who they are, learn how they do what they do, and use that knowledge that I gained to make me a better person and keep on you know striving for more. One thing I've always said, I've always found more more love in strangers than in family. That's something that's always been with me. Like I would rather meet a stranger and sit and have a conversation than go to a family dinner. Because I didn't know when you meet strangers, you learn so much more. They're more accepting. Or even if they're not accepting, you get able to learn a different perspective. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know what I mean? And it's always good to know the other side of an issue or the other side of a thought. You know, it makes you a better person, makes you, you know, makes you wiser. So me finding my tribe, it wasn't hard. It wasn't easy. It wasn't really easy. It's, it's always been fun. I'm always searching for a new tribe. How does that translate into relationships? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I have had a struggle with relationships. I, I am, I... I crave information, but that doesn't mean I give. I give it. You know, I mean, I I absorb a lot, but I don't really, you know, put back out. In the sense that I've never really, honestly speaking, I've never really had a boyfriend. Okay. Like I've never really called a guy. Okay, that's my boyfriend. I've never been in long. I've the most I dated for was probably like eight months. Like I tend to get, I don't want to say tired of people, but people <laughs> tend to get. People tend to get predictable. And once people get predictable for me, I get bored. So I don't really share. It's not that I don't share. It's that people don't know how to get information out of me. Okay. It's not that I don't want to. Yeah, I want to settle down. I would love to settle down and just get married and just disappear off this earth. Like a nice remote farm somewhere. we probably just spot the internet. I'll be so happy. (laughs) But... It's it's always been a <laughs> it's always been a struggle. It's really been a struggle. Like I've had more girlfriends than boyfriends, but I think because I am always meet somebody, I'm looking for that same quality. And what I've realized is that people tend to do things at their own pace, or they won't be able to measure up to this ideal of who I think I am or who I want to be. And because of that, people tend not to stay around, or they just for me they don't they don't, they don't meet they don't meet the cut. So I just. But I would say that I think I probably have found love more than once and I have walked away from it. Yeah. So you get bored easily is what you're saying. Yeah, I really do. My <laughs> mind wanders. Wanders really easy. Really, really easy. And but relationship wise, I am I am open to dating. I am open to being in a relationship. It's just that what I expect of people, people don't necessarily live up to that expectation. So now I'm trying to be more open-minded and accept people for who they are and give people a fair chance. Oftentimes, I really don't give people a fair chance. And that's my fault, something I got to own, something I got to work on. But yeah, I'm trying to be better at relationships. I'm trying to foster personal relationships. I mean, I'm good at everything else, but personally, letting stuff. And I think it's too because I'm an only child. Mm. So, growing up, trying to figure out who I am, I only had me. My darkest moments, my best moments, it's always still been me. So I've learned to cope with that. You know what I mean? So, like, even having, I don't like people. I don't like to share a bed with somebody. Like, I'm not used <laughs> to it. I really not. It's not that. It's not that. It's not, I'm just not used to. It. I wasn't brought up in that way where okay, I had to share toys or share space. 
it's just always been me. I've always been accustomed to having my own way or my own space. I've gotten so used to it. So when somebody comes in and I have to share, it's not that I don't mind sharing, but at times it feels clustered. Like I feel like I'm suffocating. Like I don't like jewelry either. I don't like to even wear a tie. Like I feel like I'm just suffocating and it's weird, but I just like my space. But I understand. I would, love, I would, I still do love and enjoy the company of others. Is at your, different people have different, you know, tolerances for what they can take, you know? So I, I totally so understand. Like I always said, if I, if I get married and I should buy a house, I need to have my own bedroom. <laughs> I think there should be a minimum of three bedrooms where I believe that I need, I need to have my own bedroom. My partner needs to have their, bed, their own bedroom and we should have a marital bedroom. I think, and I think it's healthy because I think there's going to be time where you need to remind yourself of who you are. That's going to your bedroom. Have your moment, have your space. You know, remind yourself of who you are, why you love yourself. And then the next night, come back into the marital bedroom. Perfectly fine. Space, I think space is important and it's healthy. Once yeah. you get locked into this one bedroom, it becomes competing and it becomes too much to bear. And that's why people tend to, I would say, tend to stray out to go find some breathing room. Yeah. And that's why I've always said that if I'm dating, if I get married, there has to be a minimum amount of bedrooms. People need to have their space, their own identity in, in the marriage, in the relationship. I swear to you, Ricardo, I say this to people all the time. If I ever get married, the ideal situation would be two apartments next to one another. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you, you know, like you, your idea is a very, very good idea. You know. I think it's really healthy. Yeah. yeah. To be two separate, you know, sh- you can share yeah. your life with someone That's and still have your own identity. You know. So, so what's next? What's what's next for Ricardo? I do not know. <laughs> no, honestly, I really don't know. If you asked me at the start of the year if I thought I would be right here right now, I've done this much in the past month or so. No, I didn't think so. All I knew the same way I went in. You know, so I challenged myself to do more, like take opportunities for the future. I really do not know where where I'm going to end up in life, to be honest with you. I don't know what the next week goes. I have no plans. I am seeking up, seeking out opportunities more, put myself out there more. But for the future, I just want peace. I want mental peace and stability. That's all. Whatever it throws at me, I just want to remain at peace with the writing for a major publication or working with a nice client here in the U.S. Or, you know, something that's always the hope. Who knows? I may be the next White House press secretary with the way Trump is going. <laughs> You'd be better than anybody else that's been in there in the Who last knows? four years. You know, I, I see it, and, I'm, and much, as much as I, it, I find it very entertaining and disturbing, I, if I should be offered the job, I would take it. <laughs> you would be you. putting yourself through so much... I like I like a challenge. It may be a death wish in the sense that you know you've just blown up your career because after that, what's next? You know, you're just you know you're speaking on behalf of one probably one of the most hated person in the world right now. Right. I like that chance. I like the fact that you you 
be able to help change some sort of narrative that's or who knows who knows what the future holds i would say is one one thing i do want is especially for me personally i want to make i want to make an 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 impact i want to make sure that whatever it is that i do when i if i should leave this earth that i'd have made a difference that's just it like you would be able to say that you know what that kid he pushed boundaries he challenged the status quo he helped people to elevate who they are he made a difference that's all that's really it so my last question actually falls right in line with that if there's a 12 year old or a 13 year old or 15 year old going through the same thing you were going through at 12 or 13 or 15 what would you tell them in the process of figuring out who you are amidst all the struggles and pain, never lose sight of who you are. Always remember that point. Remember that. Don't listen to the noise. Listen to your heart. Be at peace. And take take stuff in strides. Like don't look at that. Don't look at today or tomorrow. Look at okay, next year, next five years. Plan for the long haul. Enjoy the moment, yes. Live in the moment, but be ca- be cautious of the fact that life is continuous. I want to give a very big shout out to Ricardo Shazar for his bravery, for his honesty, and just for his general existence. Uh, that story was really, really inspiring, and uh, I hope he gets all of the success that he rightfully deserves. Uh, if you would like to know more about Mr. Shazar, you can follow him on Instagram at Shazar, that is H. That is not H. That is S-H-U-Z-Z-R. And uh, you can go to his website, Shazar.com. Once again, that is S-H-U-Z-Z-R.com. And, of course, you can find out more about me, Mike Joseph. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detox Pod to know more about the podcast. And you can always leave a comment or a rating on your service of choice, whatever you listen to this podcast on. It is on Spotify. It is on Apple Podcasts. It is on iHeartRadio Podcasts. It is on Stitcher. Anywhere that you find podcasts, we are there, like State Farm. State Farm is not a sponsor of this show, by the way. I don't want to get into trouble. Anyway, there's a charity that I'm trying to uh, think of every week that I want to mention to my listeners. And this particular charity has a lot of meaning for me. Um, because it was founded by a friend of mine and because it's about an issue that is near and dear to my heart. And the charity's name is Swag for Stigma. And you can find them online at uh, Swag for Stigma. Uh, The website is swagforstigma.org. And um, the person that founded it is Dave Bellevue, who we interviewed a couple of weeks back on the show. Uh, I'm on the board of directors for this charity. Um, They are a charity that is aimed to amplify and normalize mental health for young people of color, black, Latin, Asian, uh, multiracial, indigenous people. Um, Mental health and mental illness is still a dirty little secret in a lot of minority uh, 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 communities. And also for, for, uh, financially disadvantaged people as well who cannot afford therapy. So it's really important 
that we normalize this, that we provide people with resources, and that we get to them at a young age. So check out swagforstigma.org. Um, it's a brand new charity. We're just kind of getting everything together. Uh, but follow us on the socials, and uh, I guarantee you there's going to be good stuff coming. And with that, I wish you all well. I hope you have a great week. New episodes every Wednesday. If you want to sign up for the Detoxicity newsletter, you can go to tinyurl.com slash detoxpod. I want to give Jason Hare a quick shout out for helping me put that together. That has been Detoxicity. My name is Mike Joseph. Peace. Peace.